Welcome to what will be the final night shift before 2024. Everybody's starting all of their countdowns all over the place. The London Knights still have three games to count down through before 2024 arrives. They will face the Sarnia Sting twice on December 28th and 29th. So if you're listening to this on the 28th, it is a tonight. And if you're listening to this on the 29th, well, it's still a tonight. It's the Battle of the 402. And then they've got a New Year's Eve day afternoon game against the Flint Firebirds. All the while paying attention to what is happening at the World Junior Hockey Championship, where we've got three London Knights and perhaps a future London Knight in Daniil Ustinkov of Switzerland. And certainly paying attention to the top prospects game in the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. We'll recap what happened in actually two games because it becomes a two-game affair. They put in that many players and there were some London Knights and some area players who had some dynamite performances. So we'll recap that. We'll talk Team Canada. But first, Kyle, let's lead off with the battle of the 402 parts three and four. Here we go. Oh, these are always exciting games, regardless of where the teams are in the standings, Mike. And, you know, we got to look back because the first game, Sarnia was able to take it back on the 14th of October, 5-3. to three. It was actually a really big game. It was Denver Barkey's first career hat trick. Um, you know, the Knights were up early going into the second period. The Sting then scored three consecutive goals. London made it close, but then uh, Cooper Way was able to find a way to score with under five minutes to go to seal that one. Knights looking for a little bit of a bounce back here. But, you know... Going off of game two, they actually took that one because that was the teddy bear toss game. <laughs> Jared Woolley scoring his first OHL goal, and it winds up being a big one in a 4-1 victory by the London Knights. Jacob Julian, he was just staying hot at that point. He's still hot. We'll talk about him in a few minutes, but he had a goal and two assists in that game. The Sarnia Sting, give them credit, Kyle, because they lost five of their top six defensemen from last year coming into this season, lost a lot of big-time performers that they had either acquired or had grown up in their organization all the way to the Western Conference Championship last year against the London Knights, and they came out to start this year, and they did what they said they were going to do. They were going to be a team that was hard to play against and they were and they picked up a lot of victories hard to sustain over a long period of time when you've got young players and when the level starts to rise and it really does and it'll rise again as all of the teams come back from the holiday break and so it, it's tough to keep that going with a young unit but the Sting have still had some pretty impressive moments they're missing their head coach Alan Latang who's with Team Canada at the World Juniors and He's an outstanding coach, so that's maybe the biggest loss that the Sting have going into this pair of games against the London Knights. Roman Kukenberg did not make the Slovakia team. He was close, but he was a very late cut of theirs right before they declared their final roster on the weekend, and so there's a chance that he participates in these two games, and he's a guy that can be tough to deal with. He's somebody that they brought in knowing we're going to need some scoring pop, and with European-born players, a lot of times they'll take a half season before they really start to show what they can do. I think Roman Kukenberg has a chance to have a big second half for the Sarnia Sting. So he's somebody to certainly pay attention to. Ryan Brown on the Sarnia Sting is another player who was a high draft pick of theirs, who will have a lot of success in this league. And Landon Sim and Lane Sim get to go head-to-head -head all over again. We've seen it once, and this is going to be a neat rivalry all the way through this particular I guess, Battle of 402 series the rest of the way. 
Well, they're very soft-spoken about it, but you know that that little extra rivalry comes out to play when those two play each other. I've uh, I've talked to Landon about it before too, asking him what it's like to play his little brother, and he just he has a smirk and he tries to make it all about the team and about the game. But you know that there's a little extra motivation when they go up against each other. I mean, they've been going up against each other since they were kids, and that has just continued on throughout their hockey careers now into the OHL as well. And you know, Mike, you were talking a little bit earlier about the coaching staff and that be maybe being the biggest deficit from the Sarnia. Thing. The Knights know a lot about that with Dale Hunter at times being the head coach of Team Canada. Bob Martin is headed off to, to the World Juniors for nine consecutive seasons prior to this one. So the Knights have an understanding and, and they've found a way to kind of battle through. So I'm very intrigued to see how Sarnia does without that element with them. Well, let's recap where the Knights are because it is really interesting to think about where they are because you take at one point, four of their top five scorers out of the lineup. And that happened for a couple of games while the selection camps were going on. Now the Knights are without three of their top scorers, a guy who has 20 goals in Casper Haltonen, Easton Cowan, Oliver Bonk. They are big-time minute munchers in games. They're out there in every single situation. And now we look back at the way that things ended before the holiday break. If you were going to pick anything for the Knights, it certainly wouldn't be a three-game winning streak. And they nearly ended up with maybe an overtime or a a shootout, at least, in Sault Ste. Marie. So the only loss they've had with all of these players away was a really tight one on the road against a very good, very hot Greyhounds team. And we've got to really think back and remember what was going on before the holiday break. Jacob Julian, six goals, eight assists for 14 points in his last seven games. We can talk about what was going on among defensemen like Isaiah George and Sam Dickinson and Jackson Edward, who all seem to elevate their games. But we've really got to focus in once again, Kyle, on the player of the week going into the holiday break. Ruslan Gazazov, 11 points. That is one of the highest point totals that any player of the week has had in years. Three goals and eight assists for 11 points in three games. He's got 14 in his last five. We had talked about it on one of our previous podcasts. Dylan Hunter had pointed out that one of the things that has helped Ruslan Gazazov is his skating. And not that he was ever troubled by any kind of skating. He's always been a good skater, but he's been working on power skating and and just little quickness elements in the way he's turning and pivoting. And that in itself is allowing that brain of his to really register plays even more quickly. And things are kind of falling into place for Ruslan Gazazov. This was someone who came into the OHL very highly touted. And again, like we mentioned, sometimes it will take a little while before you really realize the kind of player that you can be. Wow. If this is the player that Ruslan Gazazov can be, step back. Because if he keeps up, not this pace, this is this is a torrid pace, but if he produces in the way he's been producing, you look at secondary scoring, this is this is massive for the Knights. Well, it really is. And this was all about opportunity, right? We talked about this with players leaving the lineup. Certain guys were going to have to step up and and fill the voids of Easton Cowan and Casper Halton and, and that 20 goals from one guy. You know, where is it going to come from? Where is it going to go? Well, we've seen it from players like Jacob Julian and players like Ruslan Gazazov, who has been a facilitator of the puck. Uh, there was a two-game stretch. He had nine points over a two-game span, and I believe 
that in each game, I think he had seven assists in those two games. So he's finding a way to distribute the puck. He's making players around him better as well, while also elevating his game. We've seen his skating on full display as well, especially, you know, going back to the night's last game before the break, that overtime winner where it's the end of overtime and he explodes with speed, makes a move and makes uh, an immediate shot right away. It's been a lot of fun to watch, but it's all about seizing opportunity. And I feel like Dale Hunter knew exactly that. Yeah, we'll have some guys missing, but we have some really skilled players on this roster that can fill the void and produce like top end players. We've seen it so far. What I'm excited about, Mike, is for when all these players from the World Juniors come back and how everybody continues to grow because now these guys have had a taste of that scoring touch of being the lead dogs. And I'm wondering if maybe they kind of assert themselves a little bit more, even with that firepower back. It's going to be very fun to watch. And sometimes it'll take a few games for all of that to iron out. But yeah, if that irons out in the way that it could, this is a really positive thing for the Knights. And it's what you hope for during something like the World Juniors. It's crazy to think about, but it does provide other opportunities. And the fact that the Knights have been able to go and pick up three wins against teams that made it tough on them, but convincing wins. They beat on sound eight to two. And so that's that's something that uh, that bodes well for them now. We're also looking toward the trade deadline. And could this be one of the weirdest trade deadlines ever? Right now, it's shaping up that way in that there are so many teams who, Kyle, may believe that they have a shot at going for it, maybe doing what the Knights did last year, maybe doing what the Peterborough Peets did last year. The Peets did add some players, but the Knights, who added a couple of players throughout the season, didn't make a a whole bunch of moves. And you wonder whether maybe there are a lot of teams watching and saying, yeah, we may not need to do a lot, little tweaks. Normally, there are bigger moves made by now. We just haven't seen any. Could mean that there's going to be a sprint to January the 9th and 10th and that we see a whole pile of moves then. And sometimes it takes that first domino. But could this be the year that everyone stands pat? I doubt it, but it's still in the cards. Well, it's still very much so in the cards, and you're right. You know, when London made the move, they made their their big move last season before the holiday break with the uh, Bulldogs in from Hamilton originally, now in Brantford. And that move was made knowing that a player in Ryan Winterton hadn't played a game all year. So when that trade was made, the expectation was after the break, he was going to come back and play his first games with London. And I just wonder, Mike, if this is a year where there was so much change, where there was so much disruption in, you know, a lot of players leaving, like we were talking about with Sarnia. Sarnia had five of their top six defensemen no longer on their team. And I feel like a lot of teams felt that way. But I wonder, too, if a lot of teams looked at last year's Windsor Spitfires deal and that big swing they made for Shane Wright and saw them getting eliminated in the first round of the playoffs by the Kitchener Rangers. If maybe there's a little bit more hesitation to not swing for the fences and grab a guy like that, or maybe it's just a couple minor moves here and there. And maybe teams are just trying to wait it out in a game of chicken, but you know, there's only so much time left before that deadline. And I'm, I'm very intrigued. This could be the year, Mike, that there's just not a lot of movement. Well, you mentioned Kitchener. One final note on the trade deadline, and it's this. The Kitchener Rangers, there are rumbles that they want to bid for the 2027 Memorial Cup tournament, and they would be amazing hosts. They have been in the past. That city can do it up right. And in order to do that, one of the biggest concerns is always your team. How good can your team be? So the Kitchener Rangers have surprisingly 
been in first place for much of this year. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere. And you would think, well, that's a team that would add. Well, last year, they spent a lot of draft picks. Now, they've been able to recoup some of those in a couple of deals. Thomas Hamra was traded to the Brantford Bulldogs. Roman Schmidt was traded to the Kingston Frontenacs. And so they've been able to recoup a few of those. But at the same time, I don't think you're going to see Kitchener throw out a whole lot of draft picks to try and bring in a lot of players because those are draft picks that they want to have to use for players that they will need come 2027 when they want to be hosting the Memorial Cup. So that puts an extra little interesting wrinkle into one of the best teams, maybe not being an all-in kind of season. No, and and you're right. And and a lot of what's... Kitchener has done this year has been the elevation of their players, you know, currently on their roster right now. You go back to last year, for example, Carson Rakoff had a great season with Kitchener. 68 games. He was a 30 goal scorer, had 59 points. Mike, in less than half the games, he's four points shy of his point total from all of last year. He's already eclipsed his goal total from last year. He has 31 goals in 31 games. That is an insane jump from a player from one year to the next. And that, you know, a lot of what Kitchener has been able to do, and obviously, you know, you know, Brustevich on the back end has been incredible as well. But that jump of a player to go from where he was last year to already good player to the elite level he has been this year. He's been one of the best players in the OHL in total. That has really helped Kitchener propel themselves to where they are right now. And of course, now Carson Rakoff is currently with Team Canada at the World Juniors as well. But a lot of it has been internal growth and development from that team that has allowed Kitchener to be so good and as good as they've been all year. That jump from Rakoff is insane. It is. But at the same time, he has been that player. And last year, I mean, we talked about Ruslan Gazazov earlier on this podcast. You have players who are ahead of you or you find the time when that clicks. It has clicked this year for Carson Rakoff. And even look at him on Team Canada. He is the latest in a long line of so-called 13 forwards who are moving themselves up the lineup. Now he's on a line. He's been playing more regularly, and he's going to continue to do that. Had a couple of goals against Latvia, and as we switch to take a look at the World Junior Hockey Championship, he's somebody that could be a real difference maker for Canada because of his ability to score. One of the things that was wondered about when Canada was coming into the tournament was who was going to score. Do they have enough go-to scorers? Kyle, from what we've seen early on, they've got 15 goals in two games. Now they have played one of those games against Latvia, but still, Latvia usually keeps things really close. It's not surprising to see a 2-1, 3-2 game against Latvia. In this case, Canada was able to blow it open, and you've seen an awful lot of offense being created by this team. So what do you think of the start of Team Canada? Yeah, there was a lot of surprise going in and, and a lot of, you know, uncertainty as to where the offense was coming from. I believe before the tournament started, Canada wasn't actually the favorites to win it all. I believe the United States were the leading favorites and still could be right now. But, you know, you kind of went down the list and and maybe there isn't that Connor Bedard or that Sidney Crosby or that player that everybody has their eyes on. But there is a lot of depth and a lot of really good 
two-way players, Mike. You know, their captain, Fraser Minton, is a very good two-way center. He already has some some NHL experience before being sent back down. You know, Easton Cowan stood up with the Leafs for a little little bit as well. But you go down, you know, Brandon Yeager is playing on their third and fourth line as a depth player. He can absolutely shoot the puck, and he has got a nonstop motor to him as well. Um, You know, I think Canada's slowly starting to figure it out. I think over the preliminary games as well, there was a little bit of adjustment. But now as the games have gone on and it's starting to get real, the players who are or were expected to maybe carry Canada or be the leader in goals, like you mentioned, Carson Rakoff, they are slowly starting to ascend and kind of dissipate. Um, let's talk about Celebrini, for example, who absolutely exploded against Latvia. He's been one of Canada's best players over the last two games of the tournament. He's a guy that's starting to see more regular time as well. Oliver Bonk, like we said, picked up a point as well on the back end. And it's you're just kind of starting to see, okay, which who are the guys we're going to lean on and which players are ascending and maybe which players are finding themselves in a little bit of a different role. You normally see this, but I feel like without that big Connor Bedard type of player, we're seeing a lot more movement within the roster so far in the first couple of games. That's it. And that's pretty amazing. And so when you have that kind of depth and you have that flexibility, that's going to bode well as the tournament goes along. So Canada will now take on Sweden. That will be December 29th at 1.30. And then they finish up with the late game at 1.30 on New Year's Eve against Germany. And in the midst of all of this, another interesting story has popped up, and that's the story of Finland. Canada defeated Finland in the opener, but then Finland turned around and lost to Germany the next day, 4-3. to Kasper Haltonen of the London Knights had a goal in that game, but that was a game where a goaltender made a big difference for Germany. It happens, whether it's Germany, whether it's Latvia, whether it's, who knows, Norway can have this happen, Austria, when they're in the tournament, can have this happen. A goaltender can do something. Kazakhstan has had it before. So, that's what you need. You need a goaltender to steal a game. And there was there was a little theft. And now Finland needs a win. They need to either beat Latvia, which is possible. But if you stumble against Latvia, if all of a sudden you get that great goaltender game against the Latvians, you're down to you must beat Sweden in order to avoid relegation. So things have been very interesting. The United States, another very interesting team in that they didn't seem overly comfortable, had trouble putting the puck in the net, which should not be their problem. They have so many top-notch forwards, first-round NHL picks. They have an entire line who is together when they play in the NCAA, who is together on their team. And so they've got familiarity. They've got so many things going for them. I think we'll still see the United States continue to get better and better as the tournament goes along. That was a little bit of a shocker off the start, too. Well, Mike, that's exactly it. It's the, you know, there's so much expectation. I feel like this has been one of the higher expected teams from the United States at the World Juniors in some time. And maybe there's a little added pressure where we got to be pumping teams 8-1, 9-2, you name it. And I just feel like they're trying maybe a little too hard to be perfect. And other teams are going, listen, we're just going to try and make life difficult on them. And so far, that's been the case. And again, United States has found ways to pull, uh, pull away still. But, you know, I think over time, they're going to start figuring it out. And Mike, I just want to quickly go back here. And you talked about Germany finding a way to upset Finland. And I saw a lot of this being posted, you know, on, on, on Twitter and on socials and the importance of having star players in the NHL or across the world grow the game of hockey. And and I feel like Germany's had, you know, NHL players before, you know, I'm looking here and there's, 
Marco Sturm, for example, and Olaf Kolzig and Christian Erhoff. But I think with superstar players like Leon Dreisaitl, Tim Stutzla, and Mort Sider, I feel like now there is a new wave of German talent coming through. And yes, it was an upset over Finland, but it's good for the game of hockey to have more competitive teams and not be able to just walk over teams like Germany or Kazakhstan or Latvia, for example. I think this is great for 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 hockey as a whole, but specifically for the World Junior Hockey Championship, which is usually a four, maybe five team race. Now, if there's a little bit more expansion on it, I think this could go um, so far for this tournament and good on Germany to find a way to get that win against Finland. I know it came at the expense of Kasper Halton in Finland, but I think it's great for the game. I think it's great. And I feel like it's because of the charge of the star power currently in the NHL that are German born. And Germany's done a good job thinking about, okay, how do we grow players? And they've made some changes to the way that they do things in development and the number of players who are permitted on rosters. And so they've they've been playing around with stuff. In other words, they're thinking, okay, how do we get better as a country? And I think you're naming it off. Lucas Reichel, J.J. Paterko at one point was an import draft pick by the London Knights. More at Cider, we're seeing this, and hopefully we continue to see this. Tim Stutzla, like you said, so you've got a lot of talent that is coming, and this is what you want. Slovakia, same way. You look at Slovakia's roster, their forwards are outstanding. This is a team that we haven't really seen play an awful lot of games yet, but if you want to wake up early on New Year's Eve, you probably don't. But if you do, there's a 6 a.m. game between Slovakia and the United States that has the makings of one of the best games at the tournament. We'll have to see. So Slovakia has been really good in the way that they have grown their programs. And you especially need this in the absence of Russia because it was pretty easy to look at this tournament and say, there's a lot of games that could really be snoozers by the end of the second period. They could be eight goals different. But it hasn't been that way as of yet. We've seen the odd one, Canada's win over Latvia. We'll see some more. But without Russia, you need some of these performances from a Slovakia, from a Germany. And we're getting it. And the fans have been great in Sweden. And so things have started off very well at the World Junior Hockey Championship. Want to give a very quick shout out to Doug Stacy, Knights athletic trainer for many years. Also the athletic trainer with the Western Mustangs right now. And he is currently at the Spengler Cup with Team Canada, where Joe Thornton is the general manager and Bruce Boudreau is the head coach. Canada won their first game, beating Frölunda for nothing. Not an easy thing to do because you're a team essentially being put together of Canadian players largely playing in Europe. And you're taking on a team, a team that's together day in and day out. And Canada <laughs> won 4 nothing, So pretty impressive start for Canada at the Spengler Cup. We'll see where that goes for them. But you can pay attention to that because it will continue to be covered on into the weekend. And then we can certainly look at the future of the London Knights before we close out the podcast, Kyle, because this week the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League had their top prospects games. They were played at the North Dumfries Community Complex in Air, and you had four different teams, and you had some future London Knights. You have some Londoners and area players who did very well. In fact, Ethan Weir, who's a second-round pick of the Kingston Frontenacs, he's playing this year with the St. Mary's Lincolns. He's only 16. He played for Danny Savret's 
London Junior Knights team in 2022-2023 and was one of the top players on that team. He had a hat trick in the top prospects game, including the game winner in the one that he played in, a 7-6 victory by his team Pacero over Team Prang. But P.J. Fagan, who was a third-round pick of the London Knights, had three assists in that game. And P.J. Fagan has been having a dynamite year for the Nationals. We've talked about his physicality, his ability to produce offense. So outstanding start for P.J. Fagan this year in the GOJHL. And then you look at some of the other performances. Brendan Gerber had an assist. He's a sixth-round pick. For the Knights, he's playing this year with the Elmira Sugar Kings. Blake Aerosmith played for Team Prang. And Noah Jenkin had a pair of assists in yep. the game that he played in as Team Williams beat, beat Team Shepley. And on that Team Williams side, you had Alexi Medvedev, Knights' second-round pick, and a goaltender who stopped 14 of 15 shots. So pretty good. And then wanted to mention a couple of other London Nationals. Talon Palmer had a goal in the game that he was in. And Quinn McNamara, who has had a good year, he is from Arva and had an assist in the game. He also plays for the Nationals. Fun stuff there. And yeah, I want a couple things. One, PJ Fagan, he's been around uh, the London Knights complex during a couple of the games before the holiday break and just... He is an absolute delight to be around. He is a great individual. He's a great human being. And I, I love getting a chance to talk to him. He's always joking. He's always cheering on the team. And then when he, we, he's had his very limited ice with the London Knights, he's looked very good and good for him to have a good season this year. I'm very excited for PJ Fagan coming into the, the Knights system. And, you know, Alexei Medvedev, another guy, you know, the Knights spent a pretty high draft capital on a player and goaltender and Alexei Medvedev. It kind of shows their interest in bringing a player like that on. And I expect him to be fighting for a spot next year with the London Knights. Potentially, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes and we'll see where his growth and development is as well. But it's it's very promising. Promising to see him stop 14 of 15 in that game. And that's a tough game to play in for all of these players because, again, you are playing best of the best in the GOJHL. All of the names that we were mentioning from Blake Aerosmith and Brendan Gerber and PJ Fagan and Alexi Medvedev and Noah Jenkin, they're all 16. And yep. so you have, you know, again, guys who are a little bit older at times playing in this game as well, and you have to find a way to shine. And they certainly found a way to shine. So good on all of them. And now we'll see where they slot in as we move into the future. At present, it's the Knights and the Sarnia Sting, the Battle of the 402. It's a six-game regular season series for what we like to call the Finch Cup. And right now it's tied 1-1 with back-to-back -back games between the London Knights and and the Sarnia Sting coming up December 28th and December 29th. We mentioned the London Knights and what they have been doing recently. Three wins and a really good showing in Sault Ste. Marie where they only lost by a goal. The Sarnia Sting in their last little bit have not been playing too bad. They beat Flint 5-2 in their last game before the break. They had lost in overtime 2-1 to the Saginaw Spirit. Remember how well the Spirit had been playing. So they're coming off a couple of good games without their head coach and Alan Latang. But overall, this is a team that doesn't go away. This is a team that is going to play you hard. And think about the return that we saw in the NHL with all of the teams coming back from their mini holiday break. It was only three days long, but at the same time, we had some weird results on that first night. 
Ottawa coming back and beating Toronto, uh, Chicago beating Winnipeg, who went in as one of the hottest teams before the break. So weird things can happen if you're not ready. And it's all about just having that mindset of here we go and, and being ready off the drop of the puck. That's one of the biggest things. Whoever is most ready off that first face-off probably has the best chance to win because it's pretty easy to get caught flat-footed having not played games going back to, in the Knights' case, December 17th. Oh, Mike, you, you mentioned weird. We can't forget about Colorado blowing a 4 nothing lead to the Arizona Coyotes and losing 5-4 in overtime. If you got the Colorado call, if you watched that call, the broadcast were absolutely shocked. They could not believe what they witnessed but uh, with their own eyes. So, yeah, first day back after a little bit of a break. Sometimes you get a little weird and we could potentially be seeing that as early as Thursday night. But just exciting that OHL hockey is back. Love it. Well, we will be talking in the new year, Kyle. All the best to end out 2023 and to kick off 2024. You as well, Mike. We'll see you soon and uh, looking forward to it.